Let's pray as we begin to study God's Word today. We thank you, Father. We want to ask for your light and your understanding upon our minds and our hearts as we study your Word. We want to thank you for being able to meet together in this place. We pray that you would bless us as your children, bless our family and our friends, the ones that we've been praying for, that you would strengthen and help them. Speak to us, we pray, and use this time for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. We're in uh, 1 John uh, chapter 2. The uh, theme for the message today is choosing God's enduring goodness. And um, we've seen that day to day, we always have a choice. Uh, we can focus upon God's goodness or we can receive uh, the temptations of this world and sometimes the deceptions of this world that turn us away from uh, God's goodness. In challenging times, we need to encourage ourselves with the goodness of God. Um, we've been reading 1 John, and if you haven't done so already, uh, please open to 1 John chapter 2. Um, we've seen God's goodness in chapter 1 in that He invites us to be in fellowship with Him. He offers us fullness of joy. And aren't you happy about that? that uh, God wants us to rejoice as His children. He wants us to experience His love and His joy. We saw in chapter 1 that God is light, uh, meaning that He is pure and that He is holy, and we need to come to Him in reverence. But also we need to be transformed more into His likeness. He offers us forgiveness of sins, and uh, He desires to perfect His love in us. So today I want to encourage each one of us to choose God's goodness over the temptations of the world. Um, we'll have the slide there that has from 1 John chapter 2, and we'll read from verse 15 to 17. And then the next one as well. First uh, John chapter two, verse 15 says, do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes and the pride of life is not of the father, but is of the world. And the world is passing away and the lust of it. But he who does the will of God abides forever. Uh, this uh, saying here says that the world is passing away. It means the world system, it only offers us temporary satisfaction. And it does so to distract us from God's purposes in our life. Uh, the world tempts us with short-term satisfaction, pleasure, and temporary gain. And we see three things uh, in this verse. First, we see the lust of the body, which speaks of the physical drive or uh, sometimes you might have this thought, I need to pray, but I'm hungry, so let me eat first, and then you go and eat, and then you forget about praying. Um, that's kind of the physical desire uh, overpowering your spiritual side. Um, many times we make decisions based upon our bodily desires, and we don't consider our spirit. Um, last night, for some reason, I was satisfied after dinner, but Marta had made a carrot cake, 
and it was so tasty, I decided to have a slice of the carrot cake because I didn't want to be the only one that uh, didn't have enough carrot cake remaining that I didn't get to enjoy it. And then I had a, a cup of this um, apple juice that was so sweet. And then the rest of the diet, my stomach was just bothering me so much because I ate too much uh, sweets when I shouldn't have. And sometimes our body and our desires from our body, it overpowers us and it uh, causes the aspect of our spirit to be pushed down a little bit. The other aspect uh, that we read there is the lust of the eyes. I see this as the mental desires and passions. Um, sometimes we allow our eyes and what we see and our passions to overpower us and we turn from God's will. Uh, one time in Ukraine, uh, there was a big billboard, and I think it was actually, they were having Mary Kay, you know, the cosmetic, and they had all of the pictures of the women up there, and for some reason I was kind of judging them, like, you know, uh, they made this effort and they got their pictures up on the billboard, and it was winter time, and as I was walking, you know, thinking about, uh, them being up there, my feet hit ice and I literally fell back on my back. And into my mind came the verse that said, pride comes before the fall. <laughs> and it was literal for me that day, you know, that I was judging the people that I saw up on the billboard and I ended up on my back and the Lord humbled me. But sometimes uh, we allow our eyes to take us in the wrong direction and our desires overpower us, and the result is that we turn from God's will. Um, many times we think whatever we're passionate about is more important than the consequence, right? And if you've ever, you know, had a problem with substance abuse, you know that this is a challenge, right? You think about the moment, and you don't think about the consequence, and that's kind of the challenge when we allow our lust and our eyes to direct us instead of God's will. And then the last one is the pride of life. And I see this in a simple way. We put our plan ahead of God's plan. And in a sense, we are choosing to be in control instead of allowing God to be in control. And that's pride, right? Whether you go about your day and you don't pray um, and you do everything in your own strength, that also is a form of pride. You know, commit everything to God in prayer. And we see uh, in verse 17, it says, the world is passing away and the lust of it, the next slide, but he who does the will of God abides forever. And do you see the contrast, right? The world system, the temptations of this world, it's temporary, it's passing away. But if you do God's will, it says you abide or you remain forever. Um, we're told here not to love the world, not to live for our desires, because the world is passing away and it's lust. But the one who does the will of God abides forever. It reminds us that all of our desires and all of our lust are also temporary, right? They only bring temporary satisfaction. Um, and they bring us away from God. They cause us to forget His goodness. In our pride, we trust in ourselves and we choose
to satisfy our lust and our desires, which are temporary, and they only bring us momentary satisfaction. If you look at the lives of many people in Hollywood or professional sports players, right, they should have everything that would make them happy. A lot of money, fame, uh, they have the security of a, a house or more than one house, and um, yet those people have just as many struggles with addictions and uh, wrong behavior as other people. And it reminds us that when we live for our personal desires, it's only temporary, and then you're empty and you have to try to fill yourself with something else. Uh, if you struggle and sense that you do not have the joy of the Lord, you need to humble yourself and ask God to show you if you have pride in your mind or in your heart. I think there's a direct connection. If you're in a season where you don't have joy in your life, it's probably because you've departed from God's will in some way. And so if you're struggling to sense His goodness in your life, you need to humble yourself. Ask God to show you if you have pride in your mind or in your heart. One way to determine to what extent you're being influenced by the world is to consider how much pride is controlling your heart. And a simple test, if someone tries to correct you, do you get offended? You know, um, And I have been in that place. Marta's said I did something wrong and I kind of ruffled my feathers and <laughs> rejected it. Uh, thought that she misunderstood, but then I walked away from it and I realized, no, she was right. And then you do have to humble yourself. And so to determine how much pride is controlling your heart, think about how you react when someone corrects you. Uh, if you struggle with pride, read James chapter 4. Uh, verse 6 of James chapter 4 says, God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Um, if you struggle with pride, read James chapter 4 and read it frequently. Um, again, it says, The world is passing away, and the lust of it, but he who does the will of God abides forever. So John tells us that the person who does God's will abides forever, meaning that he remains forever. God is eternal, and the person that believes in Jesus and does God's will will be eternally secure. If we do God's will, it keeps us on the eternal path where we walk with God and we experience His goodness, right? Really, there's no greater satisfaction than being in a close relationship with the Lord. He created us. He knows everything about us. He knows how to extend His grace and His goodness. Uh, this morning, um, as we were downstairs, there was a uh, passage about the shepherds, and I remember from Psalm 23 that it says the Lord is our good shepherd. And one aspect about the Lord is that it says, surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. You see that aspect of abiding, dwelling in his house forever, but it also says his goodness and his mercy abide uh, and will go with us all the days of our life. And our pastor that where Martin and I met, he used to say, 
If I was ever uh, able to have two hunting dogs, I would call them goodness and mercy, so that they would go with me uh, everywhere. And I always thought that, that was kind of a nice picture, right? Is that God's goodness and his mercy, they're going with us day by day. Kind of like having dogs that are faithful to you and always um, present as you're out uh, walking about. Um, the next verse, uh, 18, it says, Little children, it is the last hour. And as you have heard that the Antichrist is coming, even now many Antichrists have come, by which we know that it is the last hour. It seems a little bit disconnected, right? He talks about the world and the desires of the world, and then he switches to this concept of Antichrist. Well, first let's understand what the word means. Many of you know that anti in uh, the scripture means against, but it also can remain, it can also mean in replace of or instead of. So like in your car in the winter time, you have to put antifreeze in the car. So it protects your car against freezing. But you're using the antifreeze instead of water. So in a sense, when you put the antifreeze in your car, you're doing it in replace of the water that you might use in summertime or if you live in a warm climate. And so uh, this person that the scripture describes as the Antichrist, he's working in all three of those aspects. He is against Jesus, but also he wants to be in replace of Jesus. He wants to get the praise that people should be giving to God. And he is working instead of him. He comes before Jesus to try to deceive the world. And he says, you've heard that the Antichrist is coming. And then he says, even now, many, many Antichrists have come, by which we know that it's the last hour. So what does it mean? Well, think of it this way. God is wanting us to walk in his path. And in every generation, we should be expecting the coming of Jesus, right? To set up his kingdom on earth. We are told by Jesus to pray, uh, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So we're to pray that his kingdom would come to earth and that Jesus would come as king. And in every generation, there are people that try to deceive us to get us to follow them instead of to follow Jesus. Um, and there is going to be a time when one person becomes uh, very influential over the world, and we call him the Antichrist. But uh, it reminds me of one of the stories that Jesus told. It was a parable. And he said that a farmer went out to put seeds in the ground, and then the enemy came, and he also planted, but he planted weeds, which in the parable are called tares. It's in Matthew chapter 13. And the both of them grew up together. And then Jesus explained the farmer that put in the good seed, that represents those that are children of God, children of the kingdom. And the enemy was Satan, and he put in the weeds, the bad seed, and those represent sons of the evil one. And I believe in every generation, Satan tries to bring in people who act like they're believers, but they're really not believers, and their influence is to try to distract people from God's will. And um, 
in this same uh, book, First uh, John, I'll just read from a few of the verses from First John chapter 4, 1 through 4. If you have a Bible, you can look there. Otherwise, you can listen as we read. First John chapter 4, 1 to 4. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits, whether they are of God, because many false prophets. So here, instead of calling them Antichrist, they're called false prophets, have gone out into the world. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses Jesus has come in the flesh, meaning he was come and he was born, he lived as a man, and he died for us. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus has come in the flesh is of God. And every spirit that does not confess that Jesus has come in the flesh is not of God. And this is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you have heard was coming, and now is already in the world. You are of God, little children, and have overcome them. Now listen to this part. Because he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. So God is greater than any deception that comes our way. Um, many of you know that Martin and I lived for uh, seven years in Ukraine. And um, at one meeting, this man uh, came walking in and he had a beard and um, he wanted to speak. I said, well, this is a prayer meeting. We don't let just people uh, speak during the meeting. So he sat down and then he says, well, I have new revelation. And he had it printed out. He says, can you read uh, this new revelation? Maybe next time I'll come and I'll be able to speak. So I went home and I read it. It was in uh, Russian, but I was able to read it. And I realized a lot of this is not from God. Uh, he basically wanted people to follow him. So uh, he came and we had a meeting, just he and I. And he says, well, uh, to show you that I'm from God, I have a spiritual name. Okay, so we're in Ukraine. Guess what his spiritual name was? George Washington. <laughs> Seriously, I'm not making it up. And uh, he showed up at another meeting and I said, um, no, we're not going to have you speak. And um, he tried to say something and uh, the, the deacons were like escorting him out from the church. And I'm not joking, guys, he was going because some of you will understand. He was walking and he went like this. He was shaking the dust off of his feet because he felt like we rejected him uh, even though he was bringing in deception. And so um, he shook off the dust of his feet and we never saw him again. But he did tell us in the meeting, I've been to many churches and they all are rejecting my message. And I was like, well, that's a little bit of a warning if all the churches are rejecting your message. But in every generation, there are false teachers, false prophets. And in a sense, what they're doing is they're trying to put themselves instead of Jesus. And we need to be careful. And so the application for us is this. If you're turning the channel or uh, maybe listening to a message that someone gave you and there's something in your heart that is just not feeling right, then check the scripture, right? Uh, make sure that what you're listening to is in accordance to God's truth because God will never have someone speak in contradiction to his truth that's already revealed to us. And make sure that you're not being led astray by anyone. 
Um, Jesus said, we're not going to turn there, but uh, many times in Matthew chapter 24, before his coming, there would be false Christ and false prophets, and that they would come and deceive. Now, um, it says uh, in uh, 1 John uh, chapter 2, verse 19, speaking about these people, they went out from us. But they were not of us. If they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that they might that it might be made manifest that none of them were of us. So remember, um, like I mentioned, the parable that Jesus had about the two, the good wheat and the weed growing up. It said at the end it would be revealed who they were. And here John says uh, that. They went out, uh, they acted like they were believers, but they went out from them, revealing that they were not true believers. Um, this doesn't mean that if someone comes to a church and then over time they get upset and they leave, that they were not a believer. It means that if someone is coming into a believing uh, group of believers and they are bringing in some sort of message that is contrary to the scripture, and then they leave because they were not received, that it's an indicator that they were never truly believers. The Bible warns us as the time of Jesus comes that we'll see more people deceiving, more false prophets, and more people who are claiming to be the Messiah. And if you do a search, you can find there's a pastor in Florida, I think he's in Miami, he openly says that he's the Messiah. And there's a, um, a man in Siberia, he has his whole, like, uh, like a whole side of a hill, and people come before him and worship him. And there are many people who are acting as if they're the Messiah. Um, John says that when people act as a believer and then they leave, it's a reminder to us that we're living in the last hour. He says there um, that we would know that it is the last hour, meaning that the coming of Jesus is approaching. Now, let's continue. In verse 20, it says, and I believe this is how the Lord protects us from getting deceived. Verse 20, and I'm going to read from verse 20 to 27, so if you can follow along as we read. But you have an anointing from the Holy One, and you know all things. I have not written to you because you do not know the truth, but because you know it, and that no lie is of the truth. Who is a liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? He is Antichrist who denies the Father and the Son. Whoever denies the Son does not have the Father either. He who acknowledges the Son has the Father also. Therefore, let that abide in you which you heard from the beginning. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, you will abide in the Son and in the Father. And this is the promise that he has promised us, eternal life. These things I have written to you concerning those who try to deceive you. But the anointing which you have received from him abides in you, and you do not need that anyone teach you. But as the same anointing teaches you concerning all things and is true and is not a lie, just as it is taught you, you will abide in him. So here we're introduced to the concept that we have an anointing uh, from the Holy One, which I believe is speaking of Jesus. 
and we know all things. Uh, the scripture tells us that before Jesus uh, was crucified, he promised his disciples that he would send them the helper, the Holy Spirit. And he says, the Holy Spirit will teach you all things that I have spoken to you. And if you're taking notes in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, uh, verse 9 through 16, it says uh, some things about heaven seem to be a mystery to people, but God has made them known to us. And then it says in the same passage that he has given us the mind or the understanding of Christ, meaning that the Holy Spirit reveals to us the things of God and he gives us an understanding of what the mind or the will of Jesus is. Uh, we know it says here that those who love God, God reveals his plan to them through the Holy Spirit. The unbeliever doesn't understand spiritual things, but God gives true believers his understanding. Um, and in this passage, it says, uh, you have an anointing and you know all things. So what does that mean? Does it mean that I know everything about space or astronomy, right? Well, obviously, an astronaut is going to know more about space than I would. But God knows everything about the universe that even the astronauts don't know. So it's not talking about all knowledge. It's talking about the fact that we can discern what is true and what is a lie, right? When a false teacher comes and you listen to them, you don't need someone to tell you whether or not that is true or false because God's Spirit is warning you that that is false. It also reminds us that we don't have to submit ourselves to a person who wants to put us under their power as a false teacher or a false prophet because we have the Holy Spirit to protect us. And he mentions one of the lies that was uh, being circulated at that time. He says, you know the truth in verse 21 and then verse 22, who is a liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ. So I was in India. Uh, a lot of people in India say, yeah, uh, Jesus is a good person. He was a prophet. Uh, but they don't recognize him as the Messiah. We were in the Middle East, and people will say from a Muslim background, yeah, we recognize Jesus. He's one of the prophets. But they don't recognize him as the Savior. And in the same way, John says, who is a liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? Uh, so that person has been under the influence of the Antichrist, who denies both the Father and the Son. And Martin and I, we lived in Israel for 10 years. One time she said, these people are so sincere about their relationship with God. Does that mean that uh, they also would have salvation? I said, well, it says here clearly, if you deny Jesus as a savior, you don't have the Father either, right? So they have a form of religion, but they deny, they deny the power of salvation. And that's why we need to pray for the Jewish people, that even though some of them might seem very religious, they need to have understanding that Jesus is the Son and salvation comes through him. Then uh, in verse 25, it says, this is the promise that he has promised us eternal life, right? One thing that I think the Holy Spirit does is it reminds us that we are God's children. And it gives us joy 
to know that we have eternal life through faith. In uh, verse 26, it says, These things I have written to you concerning those who tried to deceive you. So in the time of John, there were people who were among believers trying to deceive them. But then he reminds them, verse 27, The anointing which you have received from him abides in you, and you do not need that anyone teach you. So again, the context is deceivers come in, you don't need to follow them. Now it says uh, that you don't need that anyone teach you. Does that mean that we don't need teachers? Well, Jesus said uh, that as he was leaving, he sent his disciples to go and make disciples, teaching them all things that you have heard and seen. So uh, he sent them out as teachers and some of them as well as pastors as and apostles. So throughout the scripture, we see that there have been uh, teachers that have been used by God. And the reason that we still rely upon teachers today is because the scripture teaches us things from history. It teaches us difficult concepts. And we allow a pastor or a teacher to study the context and to help us to understand better. But in regards to discerning what is true and what is a lie, we don't need anyone to teach us or to try to take uh, control over us, uh, saying that they have higher understanding than we might have because we have the Holy Spirit and he gives us wisdom. Uh, what to understand is from God and what is not. The last verses uh, say, uh, and we'll talk more about these next week. And now, little children, abide in him that when he appears, we may have confidence and not be ashamed before him at his coming. If you know that he is righteous, you know that everyone who practices righteousness is born of him. Uh, in the last verses, six different times it says to abide. It means to remain connected to Jesus. And if you want to know how to have uh, joy and how to re remain in God's goodness, it's to be connected closely to Jesus. Um, so ask yourself the question, do you have joy? Um, do you live in anticipation of the return of Jesus? Uh, do you get discouraged when you see this world system deceiving and alluring people? Or are you trusting God knowing that even that is a sign that the return of Jesus is drawing near? You can have confidence. Jesus already won the battle against Satan. We can have confidence that Jesus will always lead us in victory. And we can have confidence that as we abide in him and keep his word in our hearts and in our mind, we will not fall prey to deception. God is good and his goodness will fill our hearts if we simply turn to him and away from the things that tempt us in this world. Remember the promise from Psalm 23. It says, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies, right? Even David had enemies. You anoint me, right? We, we have an anointing. We have the Holy Spirit. My cup runs over. God provides for us. And the last verse in Psalm 23 says, Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Let us pray together. Lord, we look to you. 
We know that there are many things in our own society that indicate that we're nearing the end. There are many deceivers and there are many temptations and lusts that turn us away from you. But you haven't let us live as orphans. You have sent us your Holy Spirit. You have caused us to be your children and you want us to live in your truth. We want to abide in you. We want to experience your goodness and to have your joy. We pray that you would protect our hearts and our minds, and we pray that you would lead us in victory. We commit ourselves to you in Jesus' name. Amen.